proclaiming truth to restore life and liberty. This is The Future of America with your host, Nena Arias. She has proclaimed truth for over 40 years in many nations of the world and now endeavors to restore the values of the biblical worldview that made the United States of America the most powerful nation in the world. Ideas have consequences. They're passed on from generation to generation, forming the culture of a society. To eradicate error, the moral and ethical principles of the Bible must be firmly established in the heart and mind of each individual. Discover how to apply biblical principles to transform your world. And now, your host, Nena Arias. No other opinion about us should matter more than the opinion that God has of each and every one of us. People may judge us on our outward appearance. They may judge us by what they think they know about us. And so they can draw up a conclusion of who they think we are, which may or may not be accurate. But God sees it all. He sees our heart. He sees our thought life. He sees the intentions of our heart. So if there's someone who knows us, it is God, which is why I say that his opinion should be the most important opinion that we hold dear. Now we are touching this subject that we have titled, The One Who Fears Is Not Made Perfect in Love. And that is because the person may not be understanding how perfect God's love is. And when he accepts us in that perfect love, it is supposed to dissipate all fear. So when the fear does not dissipate, only two things can be happening. Number one, the individual may not be understanding how encompassing God's perfect love is and that he truly forgives us and forgets the trespasses that we have committed. And so God forgives and forgets, but many times we ourselves do not forgive and forget what we have done. So we walk around carrying a guilt that does not belong to us, and that triggers fear in our hearts. But we must understand that Jesus' sacrifice fulfilled the requirements of God's justice and won his good favor. So in Jesus, we have good favor before God. We mentioned in our previous program, 1 John chapter 2, verse 2, that says, He is the propitiation for our sins, and not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. End of quote. Jesus' sacrifice has been established for all time and for all people. When we embrace it, receive it in our heart, and live it out, we must be free from fear of condemnation, from fear of failure, and all the connotations that fear brings. So welcome to the program. This is part number two of this topic, The One Who Fears Is Not Made Perfect in Love. I'm Nina Arias, and it is my pleasure to welcome you once again to this program. Jesus's earthly mission was no secret. He was prophesied over and over again 
in the Old Testament, and Jesus himself spoke often of his mission. He knew why he had come, he knew what he had to do, and he made it known to his disciples, to his close followers. He knew he had come to redeem the entire world. And we read about this in John chapter 3, verse 17, that says, For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. End of quote. His mission is stated very succinctly. There's no confusion. There's no guessing game. Jesus is the Savior of the world, and he fulfilled our Heavenly Father's requirements to perfection. There's nothing missing. So the only person who must fear judgment is the one who rejects Jesus Christ. In verse 18 of that same chapter 3 of John, we read, Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe is condemned already, because he has not believed in the name of the only Son of God. End of quote. That is the requirement. But to say that we believe should not be in word only. If we truly believe God, if we truly believe the Son of God, Jesus Christ, then our life is going to show it. We will show the conviction, or rather, the fruit of that conviction. So it is not just speaking it with our words, but declaring it with our lifestyle. The Bible says that nothing can separate the believer from the love of God in Christ, meaning that no challenge that life can throw at us is enough to separate us from God when we choose to believe in him and hold fast to that faith that we have deposited in him. In Romans chapter 8, verse 38 and 39, it says, For I am sure that neither death nor life, nor angels nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. End of quote. This is powerful. How many times have people who are believers in Christ have been threatened to lose their lives if they do not deny their faith in Christ? This very moment, there are people living in nations and in lands where Christians are being persecuted. And in many ways, they are being asked to deny their faith or suffer the consequences. Now, those consequences may be losing their job. They may be losing their property, their home. They may be getting beaten up, thrown in jail. And some of them may even have to pay with their life because there are nations and governments and societies that aggressive against Christianity. But it says that for the believer, even that is not enough to separate us from the love of God. No true believer is going to deny their Lord, no matter how severe the threat is upon them. And these are not just words. Maybe many of us who are listening to this broadcast have experienced that. 
I know I have been in very dangerous situations. And there is a peace that passes all understanding that quiets our heart, that assures us that God is with us, that no matter what the outcome, we are on the right side of that situation. It says, nor angels, nor rulers. Now, we know that Satan works with spiritual beings that are his demons that do his bidding. And many times they can present themselves as angels of light to deceive. But the true believer will always discern and know what is of God and what is not of God. It says that neither things present nor things to come nor powers nor height nor depth nor anything in all of creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ. So, ladies and gentlemen, being assured that we are firm in his ownership of us, there's nothing to fear. Now, I would like to point out a parenthesis here that this portion in Romans is not to be confused with the once saved, always saved position in Christianity. Why? Because people always have the option to turn and walk away from God. I know a lot of people don't believe that, but that is the truth. God will never force anyone to be with him, live with him, if that is not their desire. Or they may have said it with words at one time, but their lifestyle is not revealing that they want God's ways. That is a different topic, but I just wanted to point that out. God's love does not have an expiration date. God's love is not an emotional sensation. Emotions are very inconsistent. So nothing of value, lasting value that is, should be based on emotions. It's okay if our faith produces feelings of emotion that are pleasant for the moment. But the other way around, emotions do not produce faith. They do not increase our faith. That is a very faulty foundation. So God's love is not an emotional sensation. And our love for him should not be based on an emotional foundation. Too many people refer to their relationship with God at a given point saying, I feel so far away from God, or I feel like God is too far away from me. But always that word feeling is there. I feel this. I feel that. That is not a solid foundation. For our love to be lasting, permanent, and not on a roller coaster, it should be based on conviction rather than emotion. I hope you caught that. It is a conviction, an inner knowing, a decision that we make from the depths of our heart that we are on God's side no matter what. God's love for those who trust in Christ 
is why he holds them in his hand and promises never to let them go. In John chapter 10, verse 29, it says, My father who has given them to me is greater than all, and no one is able to snatch them out of the father's hand. End of quote. It is very different what this verse is saying than what a lot of people believe. And this is true. No one can snatch us out of God's hand if that is where we choose to be. However, people can walk away, I repeat, from that relationship with God, and God will not force you to stay. The divine love should take away our fear. Luke chapter 12, verse 32 says, Fear not, little flock, for it is your father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. End of quote. If we know we are part of God's kingdom, we have absolutely nothing to fear. And Luke here is reaffirming that to us. He says, for it is your father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. No one that doesn't belong to the kingdom will be able to enter the kingdom. We have established then in this topic that if as a child of God, we still fear God's punishment, we have not yet reached the point of maturity in love. There is something that we are not understanding about God's perfect love. Now, you must know the difference between fearing punishment and experiencing conviction of sin. Do you know the difference? Your conscience may be alerting you of behavioral change that needs to happen in you, and that is why you could be experiencing insecurity in your relationship with God, and that's a good thing. The Holy Spirit is convicting you of sin. Now, that is quite different from experiencing fear because you're not sure of where you stand with God. And so you must understand and arrive at a maturity to know that if you are honest and sincere in your relationship with God, you're there and you just need to grow in that love and in that relationship. But you're there. To help us be complete in love, God has given us much encouragement against fear throughout the Bible. God tells us not to be afraid, for instance, of being alone. There is a condition in this world, I was reading, that more and more people feel alone. And it has a lot to do with the fact that the modern culture even though we are more communicated in many ways to other people, people feel alone because it is mostly done through media. One-on-one -on -one relationships have been growing more and more distant. Personal encounters, socializing have become more and more distant. So people are experiencing loneliness, number one, because they are lacking this interaction with other human beings, but mostly because they are not cultivating a meaningful relationship with God. Because guess what? With God, we're never alone. Never, ever alone. And on the contrary, 
the more alone you are, humanly speaking, the more opportunity you have to interact with God. Let God be your conversation partner. Let God be your confidant. Let God be your God. And so a believer should never feel alone because we aren't. God is with us. How about the fear of being too weak? Even believers suffer from this. They fear that they are too weak. And that means, again, they are perhaps undernourished in God's word. They are not getting to know their God and the strength of their God that is with them. And the word of God that says, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. What does that mean? That means that when you depend on Christ to be your strength, you can do all things. But if you are fearing being too weak, that may mean that you are depending too much on yourself and not on him. How about the fear of not being heard in our prayers? Some people feel like their prayer life is not powerful enough, is not meaningful enough perhaps because they don't do enough praying or perhaps because they don't understand that prayer is communicating from spirit to spirit directly to God. And as long as you have faith and know what the word of God says in relation to what you are praying about, you should not have a problem to think that God is not hearing your prayers. Or sometimes people are afraid because they lack a lot of physical necessities, scarcity in their life. They don't know how to trust God to meet all of their physical needs. There are many reasons why fear creeps up, and usually it's because in the life of the believer, There's not enough faith deposited in God's word or enough knowledge of God's word to deposit your faith in. There's misconceptions and bad understandings or deficient understandings of what your relationship with God ought to be. So all of these factors cover many different aspects of the spirit of fear. You are the only one that can discern where your problem is Confess it before the Lord and do something about it. Do an action plan to overcome that fear. The key to overcoming fear is total and complete trust in God, I repeat. And an extraordinary example of trusting God is how Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, these three Hebrew young men, faced the fiery furnace without fear. And you can read this account in Daniel chapter 3. Just think about it. Put yourself in the place of these young men who had been commanded to betray their God and bow to a golden image or face death. What would you do in that circumstance? We are told that these young men refused to betray their God. And we see how miraculously God intervened on their behalf. And you know what? We're going to read it. We're going to read this account because 
It is so powerful and I don't want to bypass any of the details. So I'm going to read from Daniel chapter 3, verse 17 through 30. And it says, Our God, whom we serve, is able to deliver us from the burning, fiery furnace, and he will deliver us out of your hand, O king. But if not, be it known to you, O king, that we will not serve your gods or worship the golden image that you have set up. Then, Nebuchadnezzar was filled with fury, and the expression of his face was changed against Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. He ordered the furnace heated seven times more than it was usually heated, and he ordered some of the mighty men of his army to bind Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego and to cast them into the burning, fiery furnace. Then these men were bound in their cloaks, their tunics, and their hats, and their other garments, and they were thrown into the fiery furnace. Because the king's order was urgent, and the furnace overheated, the flame of the fire killed those men who took up Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And these three men, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, fell bound into the burning fiery furnace. Then King Nebuchadnezzar was astonished and rose up in haste. And he declared to his counselors, Did we not cast three men bound into the fire? They answered and said to the king, True, O king. He answered and said, But I see four men, unbound, walking in the midst of the fire, and they are not hurt. And the appearance of the fourth is like a son of the gods. Then Nebuchadnezzar came near to the door of the burning fiery furnace, and he declared, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, servants of the Most High God, come out and come here. Then Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego came out from the fire, and the satraps, the prefects, the governors, and the king's counselors gathered together and saw that the fire had not had any power over the bodies of those men. The hair of their heads was not singed. Their cloaks were not harmed, and no smell of fire had come upon them. Nebuchadnezzar answered and said, Blessed be the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who has sent his angel and delivered his servants, who trusted in him and set aside the king's command and yielded up their bodies rather than serve and worship any god except their own god. Therefore, I make a decree, any people, nation, or language that speaks against the god of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego shall be torn limb by limb, and their houses laid in ruins, for there is no other god who is able to rescue in this way. Then the king promoted Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the province of Babylon. End of quote. Can you see the marvelous acts of God when people hang on to their conviction? And even in the midst of such threats, they do not bend? Not only does it give God an opportunity to show himself strong on your behalf? But then 
a mighty witness of who he is, goes out into the world. And God is exalted, even in the lives of those people who do not believe in him. When we determine to trust God, no matter the circumstances, not only do we get delivered from eternal destruction, that's what happened to those young men, but God gets the glory and is able to perform his mighty works for a witness to the world of who he is. This is powerful, so powerful. Trusting in God is an awesome, awesome experience every single day. Another example that we have of trusting God is how Stephen, an early century Christian, stood before his killers fearlessly when he was charged of blasphemy. And you can read that account in Acts chapter 6 and 7. I'm only going to read certain verses that I want to emphasize from Acts chapter 6, verse 8, verse 10 through 12, and verse 15 that read as follows. And Stephen, full of grace and power, was doing great wonders, signs among the people. But they could not withstand the wisdom and the spirit with which he was speaking. Then they secretly instigated men who said, We have heard him speak blasphemous words against Moses and God. And they stirred up the people and the elders and the scribes. And they came upon him and seized him and brought him before the council. And gazing at him, all who sat in the council saw that his face was like the face of an angel. End of quote. Do you see God's intervention and witness of who Stephen was? And God gets the glory. Stephen proceeded to deliver a powerful speech, reminding them how God had chosen them as a people, but accused the leaders, the religious leaders, of being stiff-necked with uncircumcised hearts and not keeping the law. And in chapter 7 of Acts, verses 54 through 58, we read the following. Now, when they heard these things, they were enraged, and they ground their teeth at him. But he, full of the Holy Spirit, gazed into heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. And he said, Behold, I see the heavens opened, and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. But they cried out with a loud voice and stopped their ears, rushed together at him. Then they cast him out of the city and stoned him. End of quote. God again, witnessing of who he is. And remember at that time, they were still figuring out or trying to figure out who was this Jesus that had lived among them and all that had gone on. Well, Stephen gave witness. I see him. He's standing at the right hand of God. He is who he said he was. And even though Stephen lost his life, God was glorified and showed himself once again through the vision Stephen received and declared for further proof that Jesus was who he said he was. That is worth living for, and that is worth dying for. Trusting in God in such a way that you refuse to give in to fear, even in the darkest times we can trust in God and make things right. This trust comes from knowing God and knowing that he is good. And once we have learned to put our trust in God, 
we will no longer be afraid of the things that come against us. We will be like the psalmist who said this about his confidence. But let all who take refuge in you rejoice. Let them ever sing for joy and spread your protection over them. But those who love your name may exalt you. Psalm 5 verse 11. We're going to continue with this topic and I hope you will join us. Thank you for joining us for this broadcast. May these truths challenge and change your heart. We hope today's topic has truly enriched your life so we can make America strong again. This program is made possible by the generous financial support of our listeners. All donations are tax deductible. We would love to hear your questions or comments. Please visit our website at www.culturallegacy.org. You may email us at cl.culturallegacy.org or write to The Future of America, P.O. Box 38456, Greensboro, North Carolina, 27438. Call us at 877-732-2887. That's 877-732-2887. Remember, you are a person of positive or negative influence. What you do today will impact the future.